listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Welcome to another episode of She Rises. I am your host, Giovanna Capoza, and today's show is called, Is Perfectionism Killing You? Sounds pretty intense, right? Well, I happen to be of the philosophy that perfectionism actually can kill you. You know, I have been someone who, I'm going to say, suffers from perfectionism, and I, I really can trace this back for a really, really long time. Someone once years ago, you know, I'm going to butcher this quote, but the quote basically said that perfectionism has its roots in not feeling worthy enough or not feeling good enough. And when I first saw that quote, when I first read it, it really did hit me and strike me as true. If I was honest with myself and I looked at all the places I was trying to be perfect, it really was coming from a place of, I don't feel good enough. You know, I need this to look a certain way or I have to look a certain way. You know, I can trace this back to being a young kid and, you know, dropping something on my clothes and having a stain or, or something on my clothes and it would drive me nuts. And, you know, truth be told, I'm going to confess, it probably would still drive me nuts. So there's a degree where perfectionism is definitely tied into the high achiever. And I see that. I see that with myself. I see that in the clients and the people I work with one-on-one and the women in my groups. So I get it. It's in there and it's what makes us great at what we do in a lot of ways. And there's such a destructive component to it. So the guest on the show this week is opening up this conversation with us. You know, we're going to be talking about what perfection looks like and, you know, what it means to be striving for perfection. And I'm really excited to have her on the show. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Brandilyn Tebow, and she is an acclaimed transformational coach, writer, and speaker. She is once a type A perfectionist, she says, who struggled with anorexia. She knows firsthand how destructive attachment to external validation can be. Through years of inner work and deep meditation, coach trainings, and studying Eastern and Western transformational philosophies, she learned how amazing life can be once you let go of the fear, limiting beliefs, and false identification with attachments. She has traveled the world to teach empowerment workshops in high schools, prisons, even Fortune 500 companies and colleges. Today, she coaches clients on how to remove internal barriers to follow their hearts and be the fullest expression of themselves. I'm really excited to have Brandilyn on the show today, or Brandy as her friends would call her, and have this conversation. I hope this sparks the conversation to start with you within yourself and with your friends. You know, what is the cost of perfectionism, of trying to get it all right? You know, whether it's your body, your weight, you know, how ripped your muscles look or, you know, your parenting and how good a parent you're being and the self-judgment and the self-criticism and that voice, you know, that is constantly battering us. I hope this conversation today helps to spark the conversation with you and with your community and your friends and within yourself so you can start to really understand the value of really just giving yourself a break. So enjoy the conversation. And as always, 
If you love the show and if it was impactful for you, won't you share it with your friends? Go on over to SheRisesPodcast.com. You'll find the show there with all the show notes and all the options on how you can share it on social media and through email with your friends. I would so appreciate that. And again, thanks for joining us. The message is simple. You're good enough as you are. You can make a profound difference for others and you deserve to do what you love. This is a quote from Brandilyn's website and it rings so true for me and I know it's a message that you are waiting to hear as well. And with that, I want to welcome Brandilyn to the show. Hi, Brandilyn. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. From the minute I met you back in March, well, the end of March, April of this year, I just thought you were this bright, shiny light. And I, at the time, I didn't even, I didn't even know what you did. I didn't even know what, like, what you did in the world. But I was definitely drawn to that and the and who you be in the world. So. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you began this journey to this beautiful, simple message. Wow. Yeah. It's such an interesting question. I feel like I should probably have like a plugged response that I have for this because I get asked it a lot. And I really don't because I kind of look, look around every day and I'm like, yeah, how the heck did I get here? Um <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So, well, first, what I do is I am a transformational coach and I host workshops and three day transformational women's retreats. And I'm also a writer. I just wrote a book that we're working on publishing, and I'm a columnist for Elephant Journal. So, basically, I do transformation in a bunch of different ways. And how I got to do this was. <sighs> um, my life, really. I, if you would have asked me five years ago what I'd be doing now, I wouldn't have had no idea that this is what my life would look like. And I'm so happily surprised by that. So I, um, who the kid in middle school, high school, college that had to do everything perfect and be the teacher's pet and get the A pluses and be the captain on the debate team and in the school plays and volunteering for three different organizations. And it was all wonderful stuff that I was doing, but it was coming from a place of needing to compensate for underneath all that, not ever feeling good enough and not ever feeling deserving of just like living a peaceful life of doing what I love. So I was constantly trying to achieve more and better to just feel good enough about myself. And that manifested in my overachievement in school where I would like not even sleep at night because I had to get perfect grades on the tests. And it also manifested when I was scouted to become a model. And I realized that the only thing that was really in my control in my career as a model was my weight. And I became obsessive about that and developed anorexia, which was just another form of me overachieving. And one day I just kind of realized that I was so not present to life. I was constantly in my mind thinking about what other people thought about me and how many calories I was taking in and how much I'd accomplished and how good I seemed to other people and whose approval I was getting. And it was like just this mess of being so caught up in my thoughts and insecurities. And I decided that uh, something 
had to give. So I started therapy to help with my eating disorder. And I had a wonderful therapist that really connected me to my spirituality and showed me that everything that was happening was for a reason and for my personal growth. And that started me on this path of transformation. And I, for years, kept on it and did more and more inner work and deep meditation and uh, coaching programs and development programs that have you really take a look at how you're being in the world. And through all that, I started coaching other people on what I'd learned and realized the kind of difference I could make there. And that it was just like so much my self-expression to see the brilliance in others and connect them to their own brilliance that I did it for free for a while and then realized it's what I wanted to do mm, with my life. And then left my, at that time, corporate job, my cushy, fancy, luxurious corporate job to start the grind of being an entrepreneur and developed my retreats and workshops and started coaching people one-on-one. And now that is what I do. And I love it. So that was a long-winded answer to your first question. No, that's absolutely (laughs) perfect. You know, often the way to our mission is our mess, right? It's, It's the way that we have suffered or the way that we have reinvented or learned for ourselves, from ourselves, that ends up being our our mission and who we be in the world. And so I love that. And and I, what I heard in there is that literally, I mean, eventually with the, with the modeling and then the anorexia, that your, your perfectionism was killing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a point where I wasn't going to be able to go back to school unless I gained weight. And that was when my two overachievements kind of confronted each other. It's like, well, my identity is so much being an overachiever in school. So without that, then how am I going to get validation? But my identity is also in how thin I am. So it was really like me being confronted with, okay, maybe you have to get your fulfillment from somewhere besides achieving and external validation. And that was a huge wake up call for me. Mm, Yeah, what I heard there was, the misidentification of who you really are being in whatever, you know, your net worth is or the grades you're getting or what the scale says or what you look like. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about how you see this manifesting with the clients and the people that you work with and, and how it is that you start to, you know, as your, your little tagline says, which is very similar to mine, which is how you help people get peace from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> I've realized that everything that I write about and all the clients that come to me is really so that I can continue coaching myself on this. Absolutely. Like literally every <laughs> coaching call I have, I'm like, oh wow, I need to hear this because I've been identifying with how much money I'm making and I've been identifying with how many followers I have. And this is my message. And that's why, because I'm the one that needs to hear it. So yeah, it's like my my whole mission now is to help free people from shoulds. The ideas of, well, I should do this thing because that's what my parents want me to do or what society wants me to do or what is going to make me the most money or what is going to look the best from the outside. Freeing people from that constraint and connecting them to what's underneath that, what they actually want, which is often the thing that (laughs) is the riskiest, the thing that seems like it's the worst idea in the world. And yet when you really follow it, you discover the magic that unfolds when you trust yourself and let that guide you. Yeah. Give us an example of that. Like, a you know, whether it's with yourself or with like clients that you've had, 
how do you see that actually playing out for people? Totally. So I, for example, have a client that I'm working with right now who um, was working at this job that she was so unfulfilled by, like, and this is such just a classic story that I think everyone can identify with of doing a thing because of the validation that you get. Like, that's why you keep doing it. And she was really good at her job, like freaking really, really awesome at it and made a lot of money and it was super stable. And she had a future where they were like offering her promotions. And we really had to deal with how much importance she was placing on getting that external approval and external validation and how she was placing that as a premium above what she really wanted, which was clear to her, which was to pursue her dream in making a difference for others, which I think is like what we all really want. So coaching her through having that conversation with her boss and denying a promotion, turning her down a really good promotion and instead quitting and going into the abyss of not knowing what the heck she was going to do next, but trusting and surrendering to what she knew she really wanted deep down. And I said that I wouldn't even coach her on what was next until she'd put in her notice, because I know that whenever we're attached to falsely identifying with something that's not really us, like status or money or a title, it so much constrains what we see as possible for ourselves that we're missing like the infinite magical possibility that's right in front of our face because we're still so attached to it. And she was like, you are telling me that you want me to quit my job without having anything lined up. You just want me to quit. And I'm like, that's absolutely, yes, that's absolutely what I'm telling you. And I'm telling you that we're not even going to talk about what you're going to do next until you've quit because your experience of yourself is going to change so much after you turn down this promotion and quit that that conversation is going to be 10 times more on fire after you've proven to yourself that you're capable of doing that than if we had it right now. And so she did it. And oh my gosh, I was like holding my breath. I was like, is she really going to do this? Turned down the promotion, put in her notice and then called me. And we had this amazing conversation exploring all the possibilities for what was next for her. And lo and behold, like four days later, exactly the job that she'd been wishing for and wanting came to her. Like it presented itself to her. And now she's doing that and she's so incredibly happy and is just continuing to discover more and more magic and miracles. I love that. You know, classic story. I, I, I love, you know, that it's, it's a for those of you listening, don't be afraid that a coach is going to tell you to quit your job. And it's very possible that you're going to come to that <laughs> conclusion yourself because uh, coaching is about you coming to those conclusions yourself. And that as coaches, we're there to like hold you to the conclusions you've just come to. And I, I love that you held yeah. her to that, which even I mean, for us as, as coaches and mentors, I mean, it's, t- it's, it's scary for us too, right? Um, I love that you held her to that and that, you know, you didn't set up the thing, right? Like what the thing would be, the safety net or the other thing, because often, mm-hmm. you know, that's our addiction. It's like we won't take a risk. We won't act until we know what the next thing is going to be. But you can't really know that and guarantee it. And until you free up that locked energy that's been holding a grip on you, you're not really free to explore that. So I, I, that's a great, great, great story. Yeah, exactly. And to be clear, so I'd been coaching with her for a while before that. And there was like, like, I, she, for a long time, she was like, 
kind of hinting at that she wanted to leave, but I knew she wasn't really ready for it. And then on that one call that we had, she was like screaming to me, not really saying it in words, but like screaming that she wanted to leave. And she just wasn't giving herself permission to do what she wanted. And that's why I was so firm with her because it was so clear to me, like she's already decided for herself. It's just that she's not giving herself permission to follow her heart because that's so not what we do in society. So that's why I was like holding her to on that call because I could just hear it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we have these models for success and we have these ways of like, you know, if you check these boxes, then you've made it in life and and we hold ourselves so stringently to that that it's a, it's it's scary for us to actually have the conversation whether it's with ourselves or with a with our coach or our mentor or whomever word is that we're seeking counsel from. It's scary to have that conversation where we admit all the stuff I've been trying so hard to get, I'm not happy with it, you know, and right. it's got to change. Oh my gosh. And when we realize that it's like the most liberating thing ever. It's like, you know, I, I work with people a lot on body image issues and eating disorders and things like that. And it's the same thing. It's the same letting go of what you thought you were in the, in that healing process. And it's like, when we're attached to thinking that we need to be a certain weight in order to feel good enough, we think that if we let go of that concern, that we're going to lose love. We think that if I stop obsessing over how my body looks, then I'm going to get way out of control and like, then nobody's going to love me anymore. And that's what the fear of voice tells us. And that keeps us imprisoned in that obsession and keeps us identifying with that thing that's not really us. But when we're doing that, whenever we're identifying with our weight or with our salary or with our job title or with our fame or popularity or whatever it is, we're actually telling ourselves that that's why people love us. We're telling ourselves that, oh, well, people love me because I'm thin or because I'm popular or because I'm rich. And we think that we need that thing in order to be loved. And that's like the biggest disservice that we can do to ourselves. Because as soon as we let go and quit the job or let go of the obsession about our body or whatever that thing is that we identified with when we let go of that, what's on the other side of that is realizing that that's not why we're loved. People never just loved us because of how we looked or how much we made or whatever. And realizing that and realizing that we can still love ourselves and we can still be loved and we can still be loving regardless of any of those circumstances is like the most liberating thing in the entire world. And I've gone through it personally with lots of different elements in my life. That's beautifully, beautifully said, you know, it's that fear of losing control, right? It's like somehow we think that if I can be in this control and and we have this like messed up thing that happens in our mind, it's like, we don't even do it on purpose, but it's this messed up way the ego works. It's like, if I keep worrying, if I keep obsessing, then it's like, it's a way of, if I keep being vigilant on myself, right. And keep being the warden, Mm -hmm. then I will like keep the weight off or then I will like, you know, find that job or then, you know, it's whatever the if then is. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's that fear of letting go of that, you know, like I had that when my personal experience, the fear of letting go of obsessing with my weight and body image, which is still a work in progress, but like way different than it used to be. I had a fear of that because I, again, like what you said, it's like, if I let go of that obsession, 
then I'm just going to let myself go. I'm going to be 500 pounds. I'm going to be, you know, and all of that when actually the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you let go, you naturally eventually fall into this rhythm of like, oh, well, this feels good. Like this way of being or eating or, um, you know, behaving feels good for me. And, and it's this natural thing that happens. I mean, not without some work and not without, you know, I've, I've had mentoring and coaching around that and, um, and still work on that for myself. But it's that fear, right? It's that, it's this trick. I call it the trick of the ego, right? The ego, you know, um, first tricks us into we're not good enough unless we have X, Y, Z. And then it, the additional trick is that self-beratement or like holding on to this standard and obsessing further, and I love that you said that the, the cure is is surrender. Yeah, it really is. And then when we when we stop making choices out of fear, like when we stop only staying at the job because we're afraid of what would happen if we quit, or we stop dieting and we release the fear of what will happen if we let our body get to the weight that it wants to be at. Like when we let go of that fear that's driving our actions, then we can actually get connected to inspiration. And what I found is that I've never had somebody that lets go of fear and then just like sits on a couch and does nothing with their life (laughs) ever, yeah, ever. And I give people this challenge all the time. Like, just see what happens. Just see what happens if you live for a month without allowing your actions to be driven by fear. And never has anybody come back to me and been like, yeah, I just sat in a corner and ate potato chips all day. Everyone's like, wow, it was magical. What happened was my choices started being made from what I'm actually authentically committed to. I wasn't choosing to get a green juice because I'm afraid of my body. I was choosing to get a green juice because I'm really inspired by honoring and nourishing my body. I'm inspired by the idea of being healthy and vibrant and vital and living a long life. There's no fear there. Like that just naturally inspires me because of what I personally am committed to. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's that like that's that quote or that saying of like, you can't hate yourself thin. And I would say you can't, you know, stay afraid and be thin. And I would I would I wouldn't even relate that to body weight. I mean, I would relate that across the board. Like you can't hate yourself into having the life that you love. Exactly. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> And, and we so are stuck in the illusion that it does work that way. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done a video on this about how to free yourself from being upset. The only reason we stay upset is because we think being upset is productive. We think that if we're, if we're stressed about money, that's going to make us more money. We think that if we're stressed about our weight, that that's going to make us healthy. We think that if we're upset with our partner, then that's going to make them want to show up on time. And it never, ever, ever works. It is so counterproductive. The most productive thing in the world is to live from inspiration, not fear. Beautiful. Yeah. And what I was going to say in there, it's this old kind of like way of thinking that is based on survival, right? It's like if I am hypervigilant and I'm aware that there's saber-toothed tigers out there, and I worry about that, then I'll keep my family safe. Like, it's this total, like, reptilian Mm -hmm. brain survival way of living. If I worry about it, then I can somehow maybe stop it or Mm -hmm. have control over it. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's backwards in the sense that that is, we're learning, and we're, I almost feel like we're going through another evolution of our minds and our, our nervous system, 
we're learning that that is actually not the creative way that it's it's no longer sustainable for us and our nervous systems to to function and live our lives from a place of worry, control and fear. Yeah. Totally. We're having to deprogram fear. We're having to like override our entire neurophysiology because in the reality that you and I live in, 99.9% of our fears are not about something that's actually happening now. It's all predictions about the future based on the past. Like if we were actually confronted with a real live danger, like if there were actually a bear on our front porch, we wouldn't even need to feel anxious about it. We would just jump into action. Our bodies would take it like we would do adrenaline would do whatever we need to do. We don't need to worry about those things preemptively because our bodies know what to do when the time comes. So all of the dwelling and the stressing and the fear and the anxiety is totally unnecessary. And if we let go of it and instead focused on what we really want and followed our hearts and trusted ourselves and listened to our inspiration, then we would live with so much more ease and allow in so much more abundance than most of us currently do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you said that because, you know, most of us are not dealing with that kind of stress. And there are people in the world that are literally living in survival because it's real. Like they live in a war-torn country or they're being attacked or, you know, there's there's actual real um, stuff going on that where that fear and that vigilance is appropriate. And But for most of us and most of you listening in on this podcast with, you know, your smartphone or even just your computer on the website. I mean, you're most of you are not living in that circumstance. And so it's um, it's important to remind ourselves of that. And the the thing that I got from what you said there as well is uh the words that came to me were trusting the body and trusting life. Mhm. Yeah, one of the beliefs that I just uncovered not that long ago actually was I don't trust my body to do what it's supposed to do, right? To get healthy. Um, I've been having this like back issue for like what's going on a year now. And it's, it's, I was like frustrated and I was like, like getting all like anxious about it. And I thought, oh, like this is, I hate it. I wake up, I feel like I'm 90 and, you know, and I'm, and I'm doing all the things, right? All the things you're supposed to do and, and being control of it and monitoring it and like the chiropractor and this and that. And, I got to this like little aha moment where it's like, I don't actually really trust my body to do what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly efforting on the outside to fix it. And that's not to say that I'm like, you know, going to fire my chiropractor and I'm not going to take any more magnesium and I won't, you know, it's not to say that I'm not going to still care for it, but it's the energy I'm putting into it that I realized was a big difference. So can you speak a little bit to that? And, you know, it doesn't have to be related to the Mm -hmm. physical, but- in just what you see, that trusting life piece. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, we're, (laughs) we are so under this illusion that we control things that we're like in control of. And it's so interesting when we say like, I have to be in control of myself. Like, what are you in control of? You're not really, you are connected to the universe. Like each one of us is, we're not like who we are is not contained within this bag of flesh. Like we are we live because the sun shines. We would not be alive if the sun didn't keep shining. Mm-hmm. We're so interconnected to everything else that it's such an illusion that we're actually in control of our lives. If we were in control of our lives, we'd be in control of the universe. 
So it's just so pointless to even try to be in control when all you're all we're ever really doing is surrendering. Like we are always surrendering. We have no other choice but to surrender. We we were born into this like crazy world. You can't there's no one person can control it. So it's getting that we are constantly having to surrender and like giving up this illusion that we are actually in control anyways and trusting that what's that quote like whatever magical stardust led you to where you are like just trust that that you are alive that you are sitting here like means that forces are working in your favor and the more we try to control the more we're in resistance to life Mm. the more that we're saying I shouldn't have this back pain and I I should look different than I am. And I should be making the more that we're saying that life should be different than it is, the more we are literally giving up our right to create, we're giving our power away to circumstances. And I explain it like if you're trying to hold a door shut, and there's somebody on the other side that's trying to burst that door open, you are going to be totally incapacitated, you can't do anything else, all of your energy is going to be used up in the act of resisting that door being open. But really, the guy that's on the other side of that door just wants to come through and run out the other side. And all you need to do is step away and let it open. And then as soon as you do that, you're free. You're not resisting anything. You are free to go do whatever the heck you want. And so often we expend our energy resisting reality and saying that things should be different than they are. And when we do that, we're giving those circumstances our power letting those circumstances control us and giving up our right to pull from the infinite possibilities that are every moment. We're giving up our right to create with what we have in any given moment. So did that answer your question? Yeah, no, beautifully said. I mean, it's the, that's the magical S word, right? The shoulds, right? So I I should be healthier. Like I, you know, with me, the idea was like, I'm 41. My back should not hurt like this. You know, I shouldn't feel like I'm 90 or I should be thinner or I should be making more money or should, 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 should. It's all, it's the resistance to what is. And that doesn't mean that when you accept what is, like I said, I'm not going to just be like, oh, well, well, you know, my back's not working and it's in pain and I'm going to like, I just, just do nothing. It doesn't mean, you know, not resisting and surrendering doesn't mean you just become a doormat and do nothing. But what it does is it opens up the space for creativity to, to come in. Because mm-hmm. if you're in your head the whole time and you're, and you're sort of trying to constantly figure it out or obsessing or worrying about it, there's no room even vibrationally for, for creativity or inspiration to come in and say, oh, you know, maybe this is the answer or maybe mm-hmm. this is the solution. So I like the way you you framed that. That was a really good framing of it. Yeah. And whenever we're saying something should be different, whenever we're doing that, we're in a disempowering story. We're telling ourselves like an icky story about what's happening. And the second we give that up and we flip it on its head and we say, hmm, okay, you know what? I'm going to let that story go. And I'm going to say that this should be happening. Then we all of a sudden have the opportunity to create why that should be happening. If we take, okay, like, and I know this is, this is so challenging, but I often do an exercise with my clients called thank you darkness. Whenever someone's dealing with anxiety or heartbreak or chronic pain or the loss of someone, I invite them to do this really challenging exercise, which is to write a thank you letter to that thing. I did this with my eating disorder. 
I said, dear anorexia. And then I wrote this whole three page letter saying, thank you for everything that you've taught me and all of the ways that you've helped me to realize who I really am. And I like my whole business basically is, is founded on the belief that everything happens for us and nothing happens to us. Um, it's a Byron Katie quote. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we reframe that, as soon as we say, okay, it's not the truth, but let me just consider the possibility that this actually should be happening. Let me just for a second, consider that I should be broke right now. What do I see when I look at it from that perspective? Oh, well, I see that this is teaching me that I'm not my finances, that my worth is not equal to the money in the bank. This is giving me an opportunity to reclaim my power from money. This is forcing me to make requests of others. This is forcing me to open myself to receiving other people's generosity. This is forcing me to break outside my comfort zone, to get more creative, to work with what I have, to practice being grateful, even in the face of circumstances that I don't like. Like as soon as we put that lens on and we say, okay, maybe this should be happening. Then like this whole world of like gratitude opens up. It's the craziest thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it also too, um, you know, it places us in a victim consciousness, right? Like I shouldn't be in this job that I hate. And it's like, well, you, first of all, you, you should, because you are. Right. And and, sec and second of all, when you realize like that, it's like, oh, I have a choice here. So mm -hmm. I don't need to be in this job shooting myself all day. I can actually like make a choice. And that's and, and when we're in that victim consciousness, I love that you brought that quote in when we think that like, why is this happening to me instead of this is happening for me? And that's challenging. I mean, I have personally been through some life stuff and know people personally who are in life stuff going through life stuff where naturally there's that piece of us that like wants to go into like why is this happening to me mm -hmm. and it's that little shift I mean I have been on my knees in pain and in grief and in sadness and still because I had that tiny tiny seed planted from long time ago even in that, even in my midst of that, you know, there was a little window that popped open eventually mm. and that said, okay, this sucks, mm -hmm. but I know, and even if I can't see it now, I have right. belief and the faith that this is happening for me. Mm -hmm. Then all it, I mean, you don't even have to know the answer, right? Because we're not, like, I love that you brought up uh, Byron Katie that, you know, that's not our business, right? There's your business, there's none of your business, and there's God's business. Like the how-to, yeah. the how-to is God's business kind of thing. And so it's none of your business. So you don't have to know that. But just to wrap your head around like life is happening for me, not mm -hmm. to me, allows this like to give up this kind of perfectionist and control, which ultimately comes from control and not feeling right. valued enough. Yeah. I love that you brought that in. Yeah. And you, you really like nailed the most important points there too, which is that number one, like, you, yeah, you don't have to know why. And that's, that's like the thing that I have to remind myself when I'm in like my deep, dark place. It's like, okay, I, I know that there is a perspective that I can choose to take that says this is happening for me. And right now I do not see that. I do not see how this could possibly be for my benefit. And I'm going to trust that it is. I don't even need to know why. I don't need to know. I'm just trusting that I'm in this place right now because it is teaching me something and that this lesson has come to me because I haven't learned it yet. 
it wouldn't have come back, come back if I had gotten it the first time. So here it is showing itself to me again so that I have another opportunity to, you know, pass this metaphorical exam. Right. And I, it's hard, right? Like this is, I mean, for those of you listening that are like, oh yeah, well you guys make it sound easy. Like it's <laughs> words. It's hard. It's hard when mm-hmm. you're in that place of total darkness on, you know, the dark night of the soul as it were. And you can't see, like, there's no solution in your mind. There's no, like, this is the shittiest thing that happened to anyone ever when you're in that place. But it's that little tiny seed. I thought about this earlier, and I want to see your opinion on it. When we were talking about, like, most of us don't have to live in fear, and yet there's so much of the world's population that does, and that is their reality. And there's um, an interesting thing that I see with a lot of my clients that I've termed privilege guilt. I'm sure I didn't make that term up. I'm sure it exists, but it's just like clearly what it is where we hang on to struggle and hardship as like a weird form of empathy because we know that there's so many people in the world that are experiencing true threats to their survival on a daily basis and are just in like absolute torment that we feel guilty getting to this place of abundance and gratitude and like allowing life to be easy because we don't think that we deserve that knowing that there are millions of people in the world that deserve it and don't have it. So I'm wondering if you have like run into this and what you think about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really great point and see, and it's, it highlights the difference between a victim and victim consciousness, right? So you can be the victim of a crime or a war or something happening to you. And you are literally, by definition, the victim of that thing. Victim Mm -hmm. consciousness is when you become the victim of what happened to you. And so it's when you live in a state of defining yourself, your worth, your who you are because of what happened. And so there, there are, I mean... I've spoken to people from different parts of the world, you know, even people that, you know, came to, you know, Canada or the States as, as refugees. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people and it really is, and even victims of rape and horrific, horrible things. And it really is in how you start to look at that. And so that's the first point that came to me when you said that is the difference between like highlighting the difference between actually being a victim of something, which happens to people, but actually becoming a victim of it is when we move into victim consciousness and the what was me and why did this happen to me and I'll never be the same and all of that. So that was the first thing that came. And the second thing that came when you when you brought that up, you know, I have experienced that in, in some of my clients of like, who am I to, right? Like, so there's people suffering in this world and there's you know, and I, I love when Marianne Williamson talks about this and she says, well, how do you, you know, someone asked her in her audience once, like, how do you reconcile this? You know, God is love and, and, and working on yourself and all these things And I'm totally paraphrasing. I'm probably butchering the whole thing, but she said, you know, the question was basically, how do you reconcile all this when there's starving children in Africa? And Marianne's answer was like, if there's starving children in Africa, which there are, and you care about that, and that's the direction you want to place your love and attention, then go and do it. Like, there's not starving children in Africa because God is punishing them. There's starving children in Africa because we have created that, we humans. So there's that level of it. And then the other piece that I see more often, right, from like of what you just mentioned, is 
I, I feel guilty because the rest of my family is not this happy or wealthy or doing so well. I mean, oh my gosh, like I, I've had that come up for me so many times. Like I remember there was this one time where I was about to um, call one of my sisters and I, I had been kind of down for a little bit, but I, I was like, things were looking up and I was starting to feel good again. And I was calling her and I was having a particularly really great day. And I, ha- I caught this thought and the thought went through my mind, which was, oh, what am I, you know, what am I going to complain to her about? Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be that high. I want to make sure I, and I was like, and I, I caught it and I thought, oh, what is that all about? And I realized it was some dis, and it's coming from me. It's not coming, my family wants me to be happy. They love me. They support me. They're amazing. It was coming from me. It was my own like messed up sense of loyalty. Like, you know, I, you know, maybe won't have my place in the family if I'm doing this or that. Like, I mean, and so I do what you mentioned. I see that happening in a mm-hmm. family dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We, we think that like insecurities and complaints and doubts are the ways that we can connect with other people. Yes. And whenever we do that, then we're missing this whole other world of possibility for connection, which is actually connecting about our joys and empowering each other and looking at the bright side of things. And yeah, it's, I I find myself doing it too. And I have to catch myself and be like, all right, nope, choose differently here. And, you know, I think that it's just so inauthentic for, and I'm like saying this to myself also, um, for us to ever thwart our own joy and fulfillment and happiness in supposed empathy of another. Like that's not helping anybody. Us being upset is not alleviating the suffering of anyone else. It's only amplifying it. And I I think that there's like an interesting thing that happens when we shift our focus to others because when we're actually authentically caring about others and when we're living a life of service, we do take care of ourselves first. We do put on our oxygen mask first because we know that if we are not healthy and happy and vibrant and supported, we're not going to be nearly as big of service as we could be. So it's like this paradox of when we're authentically caring about other people, we care about ourselves way more. When we're pretending to care about other people, we diminish our experience to try to relate to them. Yeah, absolutely. And when we're when we're hyper obsessed with our, you know, where our life is not going good or how we look or what's not working, like when we hyper obsess about our own seeming imperfections, we are living in this bubble. And you're right, you're transmitting that. Like, I mean, if you think of yourself as a big antenna, if I relate to you by getting on the phone with you all the time and complaining about, oh, I'm so fat, I'm this, I'm that. And like, trust me, I do it too. I get it. But if we constantly live in that vibration and we're a big antenna, that's what we keep transmitting to the world. So we're not helping. We're not helping by relating to each other through that. And that's not to say that you, you know, put on this pseudo-spiritual bypassing happy, like, oh, I'm positive and positive all the time. Like, no, that's not real. You got to be real with where you are and real with where your feelings are. But there's a difference about being real and about where you are and what you're experiencing and you know, bitching and complaining and being in that victim consciousness. So that's the, like, one of the things there is that we're, you, we are this antenna and what exactly what you said, Brandilyn, was like, we're not helping anyone by being miserable ourselves. And yeah. start catching this. Like, how are you relating to people? Are you relating to people from 
their joy and their light and your joy in your light? Or are you always like when you do talk to these people, you're only talking to bitch and complain about other people or to, you know, bitch and complain about yourself sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, I even experienced this like in my personal life with my boyfriend, if one of us is upset and the other one isn't, we both notice that we like take on their upsetness to match them. And then we'll call ourselves out and we're like, Oh wow, I'm being a bummer today just because you are. And I don't need to do that. Like I'm not helping you by getting down on your level. Like you need me to stand up and be okay and pull you up with me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just like a metaphor for what we all need to do. Like us be our most brilliant form of ourselves and like be as happy as we are when we are happy and then allow that radiance to like give other people permission to shine and rise up with us. Mm -hmm. And that'll piss people off, right? I mean, I've had it to me where like I've called a friend and I just wanted to be in my shit, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, she did her due diligence as my friend and she heard me out and, you know, she gave whatever she wanted to give in terms of like, you know, whether it was advice or, or just empathy And then I was still like stewing in it and she wasn't engaging with me in that. And Mm -hmm. I was getting pissed off. I'm like, no, but you're not, because I wanted her to buy into my story, right? Mm -hmm. And how I had been wounded or injured or whatever. And she stood her ground and she was not buying into it for me. And and it pissed me off. (laughs) And eventually I was like, you know what? I'm noticing that I'm making a choice here to hold on to this. And to be this way because I can choose like different, I can choose differently in this situation. And so it'll piss people off, uh, but it's (laughs) totally worth it, you know? Yeah. Well, I've, um, I do this personally and I encourage my clients to do this. And there's actually an exercise at my women's retreats where we do this and it's called the word vomit. (laughs) And I think complaining is super important. I just think we need to recontextualize it. Like when I complain, I know that it's just crap coming out of my mouth. I know that none of it's true. And I got to be real about what I'm dealing with in the moment. So I have like designated people in my life who I will call and ask permission to word vomit on them and tell them all of my doubts and insecurities and everything I'm upset about. But they get that nothing that I'm saying, I actually believe that if I'm complaining about a friend that I actually really love that person. And I just need to get out of my system, the gunk that is stuck in there. It's like, I call it running the dirty water too. It's like when you turn on a sink that hasn't been turned on for a while, there's a bunch of dirt that comes out and then the water runs clean. Sometimes there's nothing we need to do about our complaints. We just need to get them out and let them be heard. And then they disappear and they're gone. And then all that's left is the love that we have for ourselves and others. But if we're, Yeah. If we're fooling ourselves and being like, oh, I'm more enlightened than someone who complains, then we're just stuffing stuff down and letting it like fester inside us rather than just giving it a healthy outlet to escape and then saying, okay, and everything that I just said is meaningless and delete, uncreate all of that. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Because there's perfectionism, even in our personal development, spiritual world and selves like it's like and that's it's not what it's that's not what it's about it's about just getting real with it I love that you said that and mo the most important thing that you said I think and what you just shared is that the person you called was someone you you knew you trusted and they knew they wouldn't believe your story and most importantly that you asked for permission like how many of you out there listening to this have had a friend or a family member just 
like call or even just text or whatever and it's just a, it's just the word vomit it's just the like whatever and it's like and I I'm very sensitive to energy and so I that to me is I feel, I feel the like violent smash of that into like my energy it's like whoa you know mm-hmm. like that is intense and often I'm like I I don't know what to do with that I don't mm-hmm. know what to say I don't know what to do with that you know and I've been guilty of doing it as well, of course. But I, so I love that you said to ask for permission. Like sometimes I, I will do that. I'll call my friends up and I'll be like, hey, and they'll be like, hey, what's going on? Okay. So um, I need to like bitch and vent and I need to get this out. Like, are, are, are like, do you have the bandwidth with for that? Like, are you okay with that? Right. And I've had sometimes friends say to me, and I've had to say too, which is very difficult to say, uh, you know, for me, I'm working on it, but I've had friends say to me, like, you know what? I can't right now. Like I'm going through something myself and I, I I can't hold that. I'm so sorry. And it's like, oh, okay. Right. And it's, it's hard to hear okay. and it's hard to say, but asking for permission before you like violate someone with that energy, right. Mm-hmm. is so important because we, you be responsible with the energy that you bring into the room. And I have made that mistake so many times. I mean, it's, I mean, with family, with friends, or I'm just like, wow, and it just like comes out. And then later you're like, oh God, I feel like shit. Why did I do that? You know? <laughs> so I love that. Yeah. Ask for permission. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really important to have it reciprocal too. Like create that with somebody in your life who also feels comfortable doing that with you. You know, after you word vomit, let them word vomit on you. Or if they don't need to, make sure that they know that they can call you at any time and do the same. And it doesn't have to be this like drab draining thing. We, we actually have a lot of fun with it. You know, I'll like word vomit on her and then we kind of like really get into it and get down in the muck of it. And we're like, yeah, isn't that awful? And oh no, no, isn't that? And we, we know that it's coming from a place of by the time this call is over, I'm done complaining about this. Yeah. This is my one shot. Like this is my opportunity to get it all out. And when I leave this call, I'm nothing but love for that person. And once we like give space for our complaints and we see like how nasty they are and we get down in the nastiness, then it becomes absurd. It's like, okay, obviously this, like, obviously this is ridiculous. That person's not actually like that, or I'm not actually like a failure, or I'm not actually like totally unloved. Once we give the space to really vocalize the absurdity and how dramatic the fear voice is, then we can actually look at it. We can see that it's absurd and we can let it go. But if we're always pretending to be holier than thou, then we're just like silently doing all that and never really letting it come out, never really dealing with it, never really letting it go. Absolutely. And that's like what it, you know, I heard this term years ago and it's more widely used now, but that's a spiritual bypass, right? We just like, oh no, I'm just going to Ooh, think positive thoughts and I'll just I'll breathe <laughs> through this. And I, I do believe that you can do that. I do believe that. I mean, I've had some, you know, transgressions or like seemingly things that were done to me. And I say seemingly because it's my perception that they were done to me that I have evaporated simply by, you know, as the Course in Miracles would say, seeing my brother's innocence, right? Mm. I've evaporated them. And there's been times where that thing has pushed something deeper inside of me up that mm. I, and I, I tend to verbally process. So I, I, I need that sometimes. And I'm, I'm grateful, like you said, that I have friends that, 
it's mutual and I can do that with them. And I have this one dear friend of mine who I absolutely love. Like sometimes it drives me nuts that I've told her, but I absolutely love because I'll, I'll like, I'll call her up. I'll be like, okay, look, I, I have this thing. Like I know it's ridiculous. And her and I are on the same page about everything virtually. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say, I just got to get it out. And she's like, all right, sister, let me have it. And I'm like, and I just blah, say it. And the, and she's like mm-hmm. stitches laughing her ass off. And, and I, and, you know, and then I'll be like, I'll like kind of stop and look at what I said and see, like you said, the ridiculousness of it and be like, okay, I'm good. You know, <laughs> so um, yeah. I think there's different, it's called for not every time, but there's, yeah, there's ways of, of using venting or bitching or like you said, uh, complaining in a healthy way that doesn't, you know, again, like this, this, this perfectionist thing, it runs through like we can let it run through everything, like work, our bodies, our spirituality, everything, right? Yeah, totally. And I actually have like an example of trying to pretend myself beyond my evolution and (laughs) being like, I can just breathe through this. I'm like, this isn't real. This is all in my mind. That's actually like really embarrassing. And maybe I shouldn't share this, Um, but I will anyways. I might have you cut it out later, but that's okay. (laughs) You know what? The answer to what you share will probably be me too, sister. So go for it. I don't think this one, actually. I'm really hoping not this one. But so I um, went through a period of time where I was doing like a lot of camping and was outdoors a lot. And so right after that, I was having this thing happen where... my head was super itchy. And in the past, I've had this happen when I was stressed out. Like I had this weird rash uh, happen on my body where like I'd itch it and these welts formed. And it was just during a really stressful time period. And once I got out of that uh, stress, it totally went away and it disappeared. So I'm like, okay, that's what this is. Like I am just, there must be something that I'm not saying. Like, and it must be manifesting in this weird itch. Like it must be some sort of undelivered communication or it must be something that I haven't let go of. It must be some like baggage that I'm carrying or it must just be like undue stress or anxiety. So I'm just going to breathe through this and like it would happen and I would literally sit there and breathe and like go inward and meditate and be like, it's okay. This isn't real. This isn't happening. And this, this was going on for like two weeks and it got really bad to the point where I was like, doing this breathing exercise all of the time. And I would tell people about it. And I'm like, but I know it's not real. I know it's just stress. I know that it's blah, blah, blah. And I would have friends that were like trying to coach me on it. And we're like, okay, so what are you not saying? Like, what could that be a manifestation of? And we're totally just trying to like, like, yeah, like, like conversationally transform this thing. Right. Guess what it was. I'm going to say a food allergy, maybe. It was lice. Oh my God. Yeah, and but can I just say, me too. <laughs> and I'm not. And oh my I'm God, not, no, no, but it's and it's not even like the actual thing that it was like lice. It's like this is the this is where and me too because I've done that too where I've done I've tried to do the like you know the spiritual bypass which I and I hear that a lot even you know because I'm a student of the Course in Miracles as well and there's other non duality paths that talk about like the illusory nature of this world right and our bodies and stuff but we but we do still find ourselves in this reality and part of this reality is our physical body and so to deny it that I mean me too I've done that too I mean you could you could you could meditate 
yourself till the cows come home. But if you're sitting your ass on a patch of poison ivy, guess what you're going to have? Right. <laughs> right? I, I mean, we're not. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Yeah. And maybe one day we'll be at that evolutionary stage where we could sit our ass on a, you know, patch of poison ivy and, and just completely transmute the energy. And like, I mean, yes, hallelujah, right? Maybe we'll get there. But the, the, the fact is that we, we do live in this reality and, and this reality has a vibration and we have a body in this vibration and you could talk and coach your ass off, but if you have lice, you need to treat it. I know. I know. It was ridiculous. And I went to the doctors to like have them confirm what it was. And um, the doctor, she was so amazing. She was like, I, I honestly cannot understand how you didn't treat this before. Like, I'm not, I'm not getting what you were telling yourself that made you think that this was not an issue. Like this is a very, and I was like, yeah, I know. It's, I, I know it, this, it, it was absurd. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta like deal with the reality and get where you're at and get that we're not the fully enlightened beings yet. Well, Maybe ever. Absolutely. And it's like, it doesn't mean if you're sick, don't get medication. And it doesn't mean if you're not experiencing like, you know, I mentioned my back pain. That doesn't mean that I'm going to like stop going to the chiropractor or, you know, eating an anti-inflammatory diet. Like, I mean, I understand the, the physiology and the, and the biochemistry of the body enough to know that we have to, we have to make a conscious choice to support that. Um, yes, up and until we become these enlightened beings that can walk through walls and poof and have that happen. Of course. <laughs> so, and that's just an example of how we can kind of, you know, bypass. And really what that's an example of is going back to this kind of type A perfectionism thing. It's a way that we just take ourselves way too freaking seriously. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And then as soon as I got real about it and I was like, oh, I have lice. Okay. Then once I just accepted that, then it almost like, I know this is going to sound weird, but it became kind of fun. Like I had to call all the people that I'd gone on trips with and tell them and we laughed about it and we had these great conversations and I just like could take full responsibility for it and own it and be like, heck yeah, I have lice. I got a short like haircut so that I could like get the lice comb through my hair easier. And the second that we just accept things as they are, we have so much power to then create a, an empowering context for it and transform our experience of it. But as long as we're resisting it and we're like, I don't have lice, I don't have lice, I don't have lice, then we have no power to like have fun with it and create around it. Yeah. And I mean, just a metaphor for even the other things we were talking about, which is like, you know, like, I know I have this job that I can't stand and that's not fulfilling me. So, you know, I have one or two choices. One, I can just be in denial and pretend that, no, this is it. You know, this is the job I wanted. I went to school for this. I invested all this money to learn this. And, you know, this is who I am now. And, you know, um, I have a friend who went through this as a lawyer and it's like, you know, you can be in denial about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you can just say it doesn't exist and deny. So, you, okay, that's number one way of not dealing with it. And number two way of not dealing with it is just bitch about it and complain about it and do nothing. So be in victim consciousness. Mm -hmm. And you're still never really just accepting the reality of this is actually what's happening. And I have a choice here. You know, I can continue to try to meditate my lice away or I can mm -hmm. go and get treatment, <laughs> make a change, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it is such the perfect metaphor too of like, how much we put up with because we think that we should be okay with it. Yeah. Like how much dissatisfaction and unfulfillment we put up with in our jobs or in our relationships or in our lives, just because we think that we should be able to like accept it and get past it. And it's like, no, no, you don't need to put up with an itchy head. 
Mm-hmm. Go get life treatment. You don't need to put up with a job that you hate. Go do something that you love. Like you, you, you don't need to just sit there and accept everything. And while you're there for sure, accept what's happening, but also give yourself the freedom to choose and not need to be so justified. I think oftentimes we wait until circumstances get so bad. The boss is horrible to us to feel justified in leaving or until the boyfriend is just atrocious, feel okay in leaving the relationship that we secretly wanted to leave anyways. And we don't need to wait for circumstances to get bad. We don't need to be justified in following our heart. We don't need to have like this litany of reasons for doing so. I love it. I love it. Perfect summation. And perfect ending. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was uh, it was really great. I loved uh, hearing you speak and I loved the conversation. It was just such a great conversation. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks to everyone that tuned in to the show. We're going to have uh, information in the show notes with uh, Brandilyn's website so you can find a little bit more about her and the work that she does and the retreats that she does. Um, And if you are also a recovering perfectionist, um, then I'd love to hear your feedback about this show. I want to hear how, um, what impact it had on you. And so you can go ahead and do that in the show notes on SheRisesPodcast.com. And you can also search for us on Facebook. Uh, She Rises Tribe is our Facebook group where we'll be continuing a lot of conversations and eventually doing some uh, live video interviews as well. So So glad to have you here again, Brandilyn, and thank you to everyone who's tuned in to another episode of She Rises. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising, everyone. For books and resources related to today's episode, make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com and I'll see you there. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune back in next week when I dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be. And hey, if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it, head on over to iTunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show. 